1: What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're so glad that you're here. As always, I am your host, Lauren Ash, and as always, I am joined by my co-hostess with the most S, Christy Oxborough. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great.
0: It's good to be back.
1: Good they to be back. They we don't know
0: we're gone. <laughs> yeah, well, we
1: had banked a bunch of episodes before because I had a bunch of travel I was doing, and so uh, it's been some time since we've logged into the old Zimmy Zoom, and... Uh, there was that was not that necessary. tells us everything we need to know about how you're doing. I, if I sound hoarse, it's because I am. But I know what you're thinking: she partied too hard. Here's the thing: if you if you follow my socials, you know I was in Las Vegas, Nevada recently. Here's the thing: I actually didn't party that hard, which I know sounds crazy, but I think I'm just deeply dehydrated. It was so hot there; it oh. was literally like 110 uh, Fahrenheit, which is like 43, I want to say ish Celsius. Um, and I've been home for a few days, but I'm like not, it doesn't feel like I'm getting sick. I just feel exhausted and like my voice yeah. is going. So again, I'm just trying to hydrate over here, trying to do my best because may I also remind everyone that the day that this comes out, I'm doing my first public show, my my global yeah. debut, um, playing music at the Whiskey A Go Go in LA, uh, doors at eight o'clock. Please come join us. It's a free show. But yeah, I, I got to get this back into fight and shape. I got four TikTok. days. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I have
2: complete faith. I'm glad you do. You'll get there. You're gonna rock it out. I mean, I think it's gonna be a great time. Bless you. Bless huh. you. What's going on in your world over there? <sighs> I read fairy smut now. <laughs> I
1: didn't think you were gonna tell them.
2: I have I was I assumed I would at some point because Fuck it. It's just, it's now such a huge part of me. Like my, I, I bothered my husband so much just by complaining that my book wasn't, my next book in the series wasn't arriving fast enough. Sure. And this was a week before me going, huh, I keep hearing about this one series. I've never tried anything like it. I don't know. It's some sort of fantasy genre. I've never really done that. I guess we'll give it a try. And I got partway through and went, fuck, I'll order
1: the second book. And the third book took too long to arrive. Sure. And I, I just want to reiterate for those that maybe glossed over what she said, fairy smut. Mm-hmm. Fairy smut, which I, to be honest with you, I did not know that that was a literary genre, if I'm being honest. Oh. It's a genre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Um... I, I mean, in my, uh, it's not even in my defense. I heard about it as like a, it's a fantasy, there's fantasy romance, whatever.
1: uh,
2: There's, there's fey people in it. There's humans. There's whatever. Sure. I was like, okay. I mean, I've done like Hunger Games. I've done like Harry Potter, but I've never really gone like far into the fantasy world. And I was like, I don't know if I could get into it, but I just recently finished carnival row and i was like i loved that so i'm like I, I can give a book a shot and i started it and went uh i don't know and i because what if they're names i don't know how to pronounce then i'm like oh, i don't know i feel dumb when i'm reading it because i'm like i have no idea how to say that a, a book and a half in i learned that i was mispronouncing the main character's name it's fine i'm 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 corrected now but um yeah, I'm. I I also thought at first maybe it was like young adult, and then like some like making out happened, and I was like, that happens in young adult. Sure, That's not a big deal. Sure. Um, and then things got like a little heated, but it wasn't like crazy graphics. So I was like, oh, okay, so it could go either way. The second book got graphic. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately got three, four, and five. The point is. Um, I, I, I I don't hate it. And the point is I was a wreck for a week when I finished that second book and I was waiting for the third one to arrive. I was checking, like constantly checking what has it shipped yet? What's the, who's bringing it? When is it supposed to arrive? And then when the person I, or the place I originally ordered from wasn't going to arrive fast enough for me, I canceled that order and went somewhere else. (laughs) Just and then I almost did the same with that because I felt like that took too long. It took six days. Calm down. I like, mean, this yeah, is the problem. I... It set me off. I don't know what to. I mean, one might say this is like this, partially what addiction looks like. But it's fine.
1: It's fine. I'm fine. I can't get enough. I don't know that I'd say partially, but yeah, it's. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm deep in it. I'm. I... <laughs> I said I would try a fantasy romance, but maybe not really anything spicy. I don't know how much I would be comfortable reading it.
1: I'm comfortable. Again, Blanche, I just feel like for a Blanche, it feels impossible to me. Yeah. I mean, Blanche
2: has always been like, oh, I don't think I could do that. And then it turns out I absolutely could. Yeah. You know, so, Yeah. 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 Like, I mean. Going to a male review, I was like, I don't think I could. I can't watch men like rip clothes off their body. I'm like, I don't think
1: I could do that. I screamed so loud. <laughs> yeah. It was so, like you'd seen it a, a million times. You know what I mean? You you seemed very yeah. comfortable. Very comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: And it turns out, like, some of the things that I have read in the last week,
1: yep, I'm okay with <laughs> <laughs> It's nice to check into your own boundaries you know what i mean where it's like where does this l- lie within and then you go oh it's actually a lot further than i thought who knew yeah look i, I <laughs> this has gone so far
2: um i said that this year i wanted to get back into reading because i love it so much like reading uh, for fun yeah i can't say pleasure reading anymore not if i'm well going this round we, it's a again that's a new <laughs> term yep. yeah yeah uh, but I just mean reading non-work-related sure. books. Um, it was my goal. And so I've been, instead of scrolling my phone at night, I read a book before I go to bed. Part of a book. Not the entire book, obviously. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I bought a separate bookshelf just for my room for my list of my massive amounts of books that I have ordered that I have yet to read. Because every time I see one, I'm like, oh, I should probably get into that. Yeah, and they're all series, and then I I I got to the end of the second book, and I was waiting for the third book, and I was jonesing for it. And I was sure. like, I need it, I need it, I need it. How come it's not showing up yet? So I'm like, it's okay. Read one of these other, and I had so many other ones. I was m- normally kind of into like a rom com type book, and so I'm like, oh, read one of these other ones. But then I was like, no, no, I need a fantasy. I need I need that I need a different world that's where i want to be so i picked up this one i started reading it it was okay but then i realized it's it's because it was young adult and things were pg-13 and i did not want i wanted them to go farther of course i can't i did like this is hockey cards i mean you said this to me earlier before we started yeah this is hockey cards all over again because if you told me (laughs) two weeks ago that I was gonna be upset that my book about the man with wings eating a woman out at a dinner table hadn't arrived yet. I'd be like, "That's insanity." But that is absolutely the last week of my life. I like that you went for it. And you know what? I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna say anything. But you know what? This is just who she is now. So
1: yeah. Oh, it's. I say this with love, but it's, how you, it's who you've always been. <laughs> <laughs> you may have just you know been denying well. <laughs> this this aspect of it, but it's always been there. It's true.
2: Yeah. It's true. And look, there. I know, I know I'm not alone in uh, my love of it. I also feel uncomfortable reading it in public because I'd been taking my children to swimming lessons for the last two weeks. Sure. And instead of scrolling on my phone while I'm there, I bring one of my books. And at one point, a mom came up to me who I don't know and just looked at me and went... Have you ordered the third book yet? And I said I just said, (laughs) I I haven't yet. And she's like, You might want to. And I just went,
1: Okay. I like this secret society of ladies that's being brought together.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. People, I mean I mean, it's the book talk kids, right?
1: Sure, from the TikTok. The ones who are
2: like, Hey, are you into like super ripped potentially have wings they have power magical and like actual like power over other human beings um are you into that if they want to bone you so hard while telling you that they would tear apart worlds to find you if you ever went missing
1: yes we all want that
2: we all. I should put us all. In I this have a few.
1: Cl- I have a few clarifying questions. Yes. So, in this world, mm-hmm. are fairies teeny tiny, or are they? They're like humans. Yes, they are like humans. But is it is it the human world, or is it their own realm? Which means they could, in our world, be teeny tiny.
2: Um, it's kind of all one world in this. Fairies and humans living together. Well, I love. I love that. I'm like well. Ah. Well, if you want to get into it, there is one specific city where that happens, but nobody can know about it because they live peacefully and people don't believe that they can live be peaceful. Um, but they have for thousands of years, but only in that place. The point is, in this whole world, <laughs> in this like country, uh, humans and uh, fae, if I may, uh, are kept separate because humans fear fae because thousands of years before they used to enslave them and... They always feel like the fae are
1: going to kill them, so they. S- stay the fae used to enslave humans. Correct. So they're they're human sized. oh they're bigger than that. Oh wow! Okay, I have another couple yeah. of questions. Yeah. So I just can't imagine. Like, I feel like wings out of a human sized fairy, mm-hmm. in theory, would be beautiful, but in practice, would be terrifying. Don't you think that would be scary? Um two schools of thought on that (laughs) one
2: (laughs) one kind of but uh, from what i get they can sometimes show the wings but sometimes you don't see them they make it so you see them but sometimes don't again there's a layer of magic but second point of that the '90s movie Michael, starring John Travolta, where he was an angel,
1: uh huh, I'm, I'm was very familiar. My
2: first foray into <laughs> is an angel attractive or not, and uh, I had a very big crush on John Travolta a very long time ago. And when I think of that movie, I think of Andy McDowell and how fucking charming she is, and I think of uh, Joey Ad- Joey Lauren Adams, um. In a scene where she goes home or goes to his hotel room with the angel, he takes his coat off and you don't see them on camera, You, but you hear Joey Lauren Adams yell, wings! Cool. And they have like the hottest sounding sex. I'm realizing this has been built into me for <sighs> decades.
1: And what I like Is that with only two clarifying questions we managed to get there? That would be sessions with a typical therapist. You know, that's really something. Um, Yeah. Should I have brought this to everyone's attention? No. Oh, there's so many people who are listening right now, going like, "I feel seen." I guarantee. Oh, there are people who are
2: like, "What is it? Is it this?" And I'm telling you, it is. It's it's a court of thorn and roses. It absolutely is that court of thorn and roses. Yes, or a quart. A quart. (laughs) Like a, because they have different courts. Like a court.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. I made a gavel motion for those listening. (laughs) Okay. Um, I do have one Mm -hmm. final question. Now this. Mm -hmm. Sorry, it's a two-parter. First, first part is just very easy. Do both? Do all genders of fairies have wings? It's not just like one gender has wings.
2: Uh, From the best I can tell, yes. Okay. Has there been a scene yet where they're flying and they bone in the air? Not yet, but again, I'm only partway into book 3 so okay. fingers crossed. Okay. Cuz
1: I guess for me, if I'm going to get on board like with this as a concept, like I need you flying and boning at the same time. Otherwise, what's the point? Correct. I mean, technically, I guess not all of the fairies have wings. But if one does,
2: that should be enough to keep them both afloat, don't you think? Sure. Sure. Well, especially him, because good God. Look, the thing is, I have a crush on one of them. I've had a crush on him since the book one, because he's sassy, and he's a bit snarky. And, you know, I'm, I'm into it. And I'm very into the fan art that people have (laughs) drawn. Well, listen, I'm too scared to Google too far, because I don't want to spoiler For what happens? No, don't, don't. Because I'm too far. This is like a couple years old by now. But I was told there's the five in the series, and that's it. I have heard she's making a sixth for this series, and I freaked the fuck out. I love that I've never heard of this ever. I had not until probably two, three weeks ago, and then I went, I'll, I'll order the first one just to see. And now I'm like, how did you not order them all in the same moment? Yeah. Like, I, it's it's a problem. And then the third one shows up, and it's 700 pages. And I'm like, do we need that? And the fifth one is even longer, and the one in between them is about 200.
1: I know. I have a lot of questions. And I... How is there a 700-page book and a 200-page book in the same series? Split it up, lady. It's... I have a lot of questions. I'm hoping they'll get answered,
2: but look, I, again, I didn't think this would be a thing I'm into. I didn't, there were so many things, I, so many books that I would see like the title and be like, oh, well, that's probably not my style. But I recently ordered one that's like, I can't remember what it's called, but it's something like Blood and Ash or something. And I was like, oh, yep, there's a Serpent and Wings or something that I'm ordering. Like it's Serpent and Wings. Yeah, something like that. I can't remember what it's called. Look, I, I've already pre-ordered one that involves dragons. <laughs> I don't even know who I am anymore.
1: I just love how when it is is like how something new, you know, always something new, and I, yep. I'm fully on board with all of it. I also just have to yep. say, going back to Blanche's chest or the chest of Blanche's treasures. I don't know. We got to call this segment something. I, <laughs> I, I, I ingested something. <laughs> Ingested? Not the right word. Mm-hmm. I viewed something this week that had an, a visceral impact on me. Now, I'm sure. not going to get into the details because I don't want to give out any spoilers, but yeah. the new series, the new season of Black Mirror is out. And when I heard mm-hmm. that there was a Josh Hartnett episode, I was like, I can't. I, I actually saved it. Typically, I would watch that first, but I was like, no, 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 no. I want that to be dessert. You know what I mean? Of course, because that show, you can it, it doesn't like it's not some of them you kind of connect watch them in order, but you don't have to watch them in order. No, they're kind of standalone. Oh, okay. um, so. I got to it. And again, I'm not giving any spoilers, but I will just say that in the first like 10 minutes of the episode, there's a scene where he dances with his wife and I have rewound and watched it so many times. <laughs> I it's not up, it's not as many times as I rewound and watched uh the Keanu uh Sandra Bullock speed ending. Cause as a kid oh. I watched that over and over and over and over again yeah. and drilled into myself that true love is a man never leaving. Ha ha ha! Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> i'm kidding we're okay folks half kidding um no 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 we come about it honestly but my point is is uh thank you to josh hartnett and thank you to black mirror like really stellar work just really shout out aaron paul also in the episode they were great it was i thought it was a really great episode of the show if you're a fan of that stuff um and I just was the biggest Josh Hartnett fan growing up. Like, yes, the biggest. Christy can attest to this. Like, I loved him. I
2: wrote a script for the movie. You two were supposed to be.
1: In. I forgot about that. That's right. Do yeah. you we'll the next that. door
2: neighbors who fell in love? I want to believe it somewhere. We have maybe. to find that.
1: We have to find that. Yeah, it was cute. It was a good idea.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, listen, what you drinking over there? Um. Oh, I'm. I'm doing cherry whiskey and coke today. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. Look again. It goes down, goes down well with my fairy smut. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, fairy smut. I just love it so much. Well, listen, I'm I'm just desperately trying to uh, to hydrate over here. I've I've killed two Gatorades and I'm just on water. Um, I gotta again, I gotta sure. get these pipes. Me 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 me. I gotta get these pipes where they need to be. You know what I mean? So that's where we're at. Of course. Uh, but listen, this episode we're of course talking about. Uh, The documentary, Abducted in Plain Sight. This was our May patrons poll choice. Um, Again, over on patreon.com slash cocktails. We offer many different bonuses for a monthly subscription, including getting to vote on an episode that we will cover in this, the main feed of the show. This was May's choice. And let me tell you, I do have to just give some context for the dear listeners. I told Christy once the very bare bones story of this. We had been recording one night. It was very late. We were still on chatting as we are wont to do. And I just gave her like the highlight reel. And her face was like so truly horrified. Like it was almost, I mean, it was delicious getting to see. Uh, and and so anyway, it was on our minds. And I'm glad that we're talking about it. Because this story, I think I may, I, I will boldly say, for those who aren't familiar, I think this may be the, the wildest true crime story I've ever heard. What do you think? Yes! Yeah. Oh god, yes. Every I mean when you think it's going to zig, it zags. It zags, man. Oh, in so many ways. I just remember watching the documentary and there was different points which of course I will not spoil. There was different points where I screamed. Like I screamed alone in my home at the television. Like what? Like it was there was multiple whats. I remember that. Or like that's got to be kidding yeah. me. Like it's usually there's one like oh my
2: yes. god yes or like what one maybe two if you're lucky sure In this, easily five easily. at least five i would say is probably upwards of 7 by the end probably i love that i hadn't even counted i just was like oh there's there's more than that and i'm like oh there's that
1: i'm going to try and keep track as we're going as we're talking oh that would be nice yeah I'll, let's that see that would be
2: nice so we can have a a what counter
1: Yes. Yes. Or even just, yeah, what those moments are, or they were for me again when I was first hearing the story. But for those who aren't familiar, do not fret, my pets. We're going to get you up to speed right now, as we always do. Abducted in Plain Sight tells the story of Robert Birchtold, a man who spent years grooming, manipulating the Broberg family uh, so that he could kidnap their oldest daughter. Shockingly, after the daughter was returned home, the Brobergs continued to allow Birchold into their life which led to Birchold kidnapping the girl a second time. So who the hell was this master manipulator? How is it possible that he successfully kidnapped the same child twice? And even though the parents were also victims, do they bear any responsibility for what happened to their daughter? In a case full of twists and turns that you never see coming, Christy will deep dive the documentary and give you all the info that was left out. So prepare for Christy to get appropriately angry in this episode on Abducted in Plain Sight. Because as we know, if it involves a child, oh, mama's getting angry. Oh, sure. As a mother. So I
2: I get angry a lot
1: as a mother. In this.
2: I had to dial back when I was making notes. Not on our account. My anger, you know. Uh, This should never have happened. (laughs) Oh. I mean, none of these ever should have happened.
1: But I think that there's that element in this. And listen, we'll talk about it, obviously, as we go through and, and at the end also. But... I think the element in this that's so scary to me is that quite often in true crime it's like you're in the wrong place at the wrong time or you you just sure. happen to be it's it's a it's a game of chance and that's terrifying on its own but the idea that this was so long such a long running manipulation and yeah. that it led to the the things that it led to that's creepy in a much different way to me oh yeah cuz it this wasn't was like set up for years. Yeah. It wasn't like I know I always reference Gacy, but again it's the one that, that broke my brain, but it's like that was like a, a a predator who pounced and it was like you were just in a bad situation. Like very usually very quickly, you know what I mean? This yeah. it was again it was just ongoing and like you said arguably completely avoidable, but every part of it. Yeah. I can't well, here but we go. I'm gonna. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't. I'm gonna. Just like yeah, you and that it's... fairy smut. You know what I mean?
2: <laughs> oh, oh, that's just a new part of my life that uh, I think I'm just. I think forties for me is just becoming who I was meant to be, who I've been all along and have been too clutching my pearls to be. Yeah. So now I'm 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 out in the world as a smut reader. And my dream is someday to be a smut peddler. I was just going to say that. She doesn't mean that how it sounds, folks. No, no. I mean it much more innocently than it sounds. I did say to her earlier, God, I'd love to write something. I don't know if I could do it smutty.
1: I think that would be your life's work.
2: It's probably (laughs) your biggest calling. I need to believe it. I need to I need to believe that the second I'm like, oh, this is done, and look at it and go, I was meant to do this. How have I not been doing this? Yeah. I've already envisioned the office space I would like to,
1: to, to write in. Ironically, with fairy lights. Oh, my God. I had... Fuck, you're right.
2: I'm just here to I'm be also- a mirror, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, God. I've also envisioned the... Uh, The actors who I plan on having characters after so that I plan on having photos of them around so I can make sure to see their face when I'm. It's fine. I vote for Josh Hartnett,
1: but that's neither here nor there.
2: (laughs) I've already written a script for him and he wouldn't do it. (laughs) I kid. He, it was was in a spiral notebook that he does not know exists. God, I should try and find it,
1: but not
2: the point, not the point. So disclaimer, on the episode. This episode will contain mentions of suicide and sexual assault involving child victims. So trigger warning for those who need it. Robert Dean Broberg, known as Bob, was born December 11th, 1937 in Pocatello, Idaho. You know who else was born in Pocatello, Idaho? Brandon Steinekert, aka former drummer of the used and current drummer, for Rancid. Thank you. We met him once at the Warp Tour in like, I want to say 2003 ish. Mm, something in there. Uh, he was very nice. I may or may not put a photo of that very meeting in the case file. It feels weird to do that, but it's also weird to be distracted this early in the show. So, <laughs> Bob. Bob graduated in 1956 and attended both Idaho State University and Brigham Young University. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Bob and his twin brother Richard went on an LDS mission to Norway from 1958 to 1960. When he returned home, Bob attended Hutchinson School of Floral Design in Portland, graduating top of his class. In 1961, Bob purchased Atkin Florist, which he ran for nearly 40 years. He also served as the president of the Idaho State Florist Association. On April 20th, 1961, Bob married Mary Ann Buck. The couple had three daughters, Jan in July 1962 Karen in 1964, and Susan in 1966. The family lived in Pocatello, where Bob ran his flower shop, and Marianne worked as a stay-at-home mom. They attended the local LDS church, and overall seemed to have the picture-perfect life. Jan later said, quote, I had a wonderful childhood. My first 12 years of life were ideal. While at church in June 1972, Marianne met Robert Birchtold, who had recently moved to town with his wife, Gail, and their five children, Jerry, James, Joseph, Jeff, and Jill. I do not know why they all had J names, but they had a theme. You know I love a theme. Yep. Uh, And since the Birchtolds lived just two blocks from the Brobergs, and since the kids were kind of all similar ages, it was suggested they get together sometime outside of church. The Brobergs mostly ignored the suggestion and didn't see much of the Birchtolds until early November, when Bob and Marianne went shopping for a new dining set. They headed to Freight Outlet, a furniture store run by Robert Birchtold. Now, to spare any confusion between Robert and Bob, Robert suggested that the Broberg family simply call him B. So I will refer to Robert Birchtold as B for the rest of this episode for the sake of consistency. Sometimes I might call him by his full name, but Robert and Bob just starts getting too confusing for everybody. So after the new furniture was delivered to the Broberg house, B showed up with a large fruit basket, and insisted that the Broberg family come over for dinner. Or as Marianne later described it, B said he felt slighted that the Brobergs hadn't yet been to his house, so he refused to leave until they agreed to come over for dinner. And for those who think this was the first red flag of B's domineering and grooming behavior, you'd be right but we'll get into the red flags later on. Some people may tell me that B was just being nice and that I'm a broken human for assuming the worst so quickly. But I know how this story ends, and trying to guilt someone into doing what you want by telling them they hurt your feelings and then refusing to leave until they agree to do what you want is manipulation. And manipulation is how this story went from a potential friendly encounter to a full-on true crime story. I am also broken, but that's neither here nor there.
1: So (laughs) We both are, baby. I
2: I accept it. So (laughs) saying it is not news. So the Broberg family did, of course, end up attending that dinner, and the two families immediately hit it off. The kids got along, the parents got along, and as the Brobergs later put it, There was a best friend for everyone. And because of this immediate closeness, it didn't seem odd when just days after the first dinner, B showed up at the house and asked Marianne if he could drive her daughters to school. Marianne suggested maybe they could carpool, but B was adamant that he would drive the kids to school. He said it was on his way to work, and he was just trying to be a good neighbor. Just let me be a good neighbor. Again, Pushing it, the family soon became inseparable, and it wasn't unheard of for B to spend time alone with the Broberg daughters. He became like a second father to them, showering them with gifts. Although most of his attention was directed to Jan, whom B referred to as Dolly. Yeah, I don't, I don't care for it. That immediately turns my stomach. But neither here nor there. Jan later said that. She felt completely safe with him. And Marianne and Bob were drawn to B. He was charismatic, friendly, attractive. Shortly after they started spending time together, Bee started calling Marianne while he was at work, asking her to bring him some lunch. And this is yet another red flag of B's manipulation. If he really just wanted food, he was a grown-ass man. He could have gone to get it himself. Or could have possibly contacted his own wife about it. But he specifically chose to call Marianne because gaining her trust was part of his long con, and you'll start hearing more signs of that con the further we get into this story. B flirted with Marianne, who later said that he made her feel good about herself. He told she said he brought an excitement into her life that had long disappeared from her thirteen year marriage. B told her his marriage was unfulfilling sexually speaking and that he wished his wife Gail was as beautiful as Marianne. Ooh. So it should come as no surprise that B and Marianne started an emotional affair. And while Marianne admits to cuddling and kissing at some times, she said at this point in the story, it never went beyond that. Later on, it was discovered in some of B's writings that he mentioned one particular encounter with Marianne. He said the encounter, quote, sickened him but that he needed to put up with it because and i quote this is the price you have to pay to be with your dolly oh i know that's our first one (laughs) yeah how many times are we gonna say that today a lot uh (laughs) i say this with complete seriousness barf I love that I felt the need to write that. This guy makes my skin crawl. But unlike the Brobergs at the time, I had the advantage of going into this knowing what a complete monster Bees is. Now, as with many siblings, Jan and her sister Karen shared a bedroom in the basement of the Broberg house. In their case, the room was quite large. So in the summer of 1974, B suggested they build a wall in the middle of the room. So that Karen and Jan could each have their own room, B said. I mean, the girls are getting older; it was time they had their own space. Uh, at the time, Jan was turning twelve, and Karen would have been about nine or ten. Marianne said that they originally planned to split the bedroom between the like on their own. However, due to a lack of extra money, they kind of put that project on hold indefinitely. But B offered to do the work himself for free. The Brobergs only had to pay for materials. When they offered to give B money for his work, he said, quote, There are things you do for those you love, and it comes without a price.
1: Oh, God.
2: But of course, we all know he wasn't doing this out of the goodness of his heart. He was doing this for his own nefarious reasons, mainly to separate Jan as, again, part of that long con i mentioned earlier so by this point the brobergs had been close friends with b and his family for about 2 years they spent a lot of time together including seeing each other at church the kids were not only classmates at school but they also had sleepovers and playdates and sometimes the broberg children especially jan would go on trips with the birch tolds so by the fall of 1974 The Broberg and Birchtold families were completely intertwined. So it didn't seem strange when B. asked Marianne if he could take Jan horseback riding after school on October 17th, 1974. Marianne called Bob at work to ask what he thought, but Bob said no. Despite not being told yes, B. showed up at the house a few hours later and asked Jan if she was ready to go. When Marianne told him no, B. got upset and said, Don't you trust me? Which is a classic move when you're trying to manipulate someone. Uh, Marianne said Jan had piano lessons, so she couldn't go. B said he would drive her to her lessons and pick her up after. He promised he would have her back by supper. In the end, Marianne gave in and agreed. When Bob returned home from work, he said he wasn't angry at Marianne for letting Jan go. He understood how persuasive Birch told could be. But when Jan didn't arrive home on time, Bob and Marianne were concerned. According to the Abducted in Plain Sight documentary, the Brobergs waited several days before contacting the police because they didn't want to upset Gail, uh, B's wife. However, according to the Brobergs, Bob did contact the police the first night that Jan went missing, however he didn't think at that point that jan had been kidnapped so when he called the police it was only to inquire if there had been any car accidents in the area because that at that time is what he thought he thought maybe they had gotten to an accident maybe their car had broken down something like that there was no thought in his mind that his daughter had been kidnapped right marianne called the fbi two days later uh But their office was closed because it was a weekend. There was an answering machine that gave a separate number to call in case of an emergency. But Marianne didn't call it because she didn't want people to get riled up over nothing. Now, I'm going to say something full well knowing that I'm going to say it later in the show. Yes, Bob and Marianne were naive for trusting B as much as they did. And yes, they were also his victims I can't imagine what it was like to go through what they did. With that being said, and I'm probably going to get hate for saying this, but I'm going to say it, they failed their daughter. They put so much trust and faith in a man they had only known a couple of years that they didn't consider their daughter might have been in danger. And I know they were sheltered and they didn't realize that child predators were a thing, but they were uncomfortable with the idea of Jan going with him that day. And yet they let her go because they were more concerned about upsetting him than keeping her safe. When the FBI finally got involved, they discovered B's car abandoned 12 miles or 19 kilometers south of American Falls, which is about 30 minutes west of Pocatello. The passenger door window had been broken from the inside, and it was covered in blood. There were also traces of blood inside the vehicle. There were tire tracks on the ground and one set of footprints. Gail admitted to the police that prior to the disappearance, Gail had found B fixing up a motorhome at their storage unit. When the storage unit was checked, the motorhome was gone. Police believe that additional set of tracks found at the scene were from the motorhome. When B left for work the day he went missing... He told a sales clerk that he was meeting a man to exchange gold bars for cash. There was no word from either B or Jan for five weeks. At the time of their disappearance, B was 38 and Jan was 12. (laughs) So, what happened? In the weeks that they were gone, well, according to Jan, when B picked her up from her piano lesson, he gave her an allergy pill before they headed to the stables. She said she fell asleep and had no memory of the drive. Was it really an allergy pill? Of course not. That man was clearly giving the child a sleeping pill so he could kidnap her without a fight. Also, Jan being unaware of her surroundings would play into B's master plan, which I will get into in a moment. But the allergy pill is yet another sign of B's long con with the Brobergs. He started giving the kids vitamins. And when Marianne questioned it, B said his vitamins were better than those cheap ones that Marianne bought. He added that Marianne's kids were sick so often and his kids never got sick. So obviously his vitamins were better. Couple of things here. One, one, Acting like you know better when it comes to someone else's children is gross. Stand down. And two, after B and Jan disappeared, the vitamins were tested and found out to be legitimate vitamins that he had been giving those kids. So why give the Broberg children vitamins? I'm no expert. But to me, it was B's way of getting the Broberg Broberg children used to taking whatever pills he gave them. Yep. And once it became routine, they'd never question it. Hence why he was able to give Jan allergy pills so easily. And when you look at it that way, you realize B spent two years planning this abduction right under everyone's noses. And it's absolutely horrifying to think about. Jan said that when she woke up after the car ride, she was lying on a bed with her hands and ankles strapped down. She was in some sort of small room, but couldn't tell where. A strange voice came from a white intercom box claiming to be an alien from another planet. Jan became terrified that she had been abducted by aliens. Why would she just instantly believe that it was aliens? Probably because B had spent the last two years telling Jan and her sister's stories about alien abductions and UFOs and showing them sci-fi movies. And again, adding to his long con. So Jan eventually falls back asleep. When she wakes up, the restraints are removed, but the strange voices continue to talk to her. They said that they were named Zeta and Zethra and they were part of an alien race that was in danger of dying. The aliens told Jan that while Marianne was her biological mother, her real father was an alien, so Jan was part alien. And since she was part alien, Zeta and Zethra needed Jan to go on a mission. They told her that they would give her a male companion with whom Jan needed to have a child before she turned 16. You know, to help save the alien planet. And if that wasn't batshit and horrifying enough, Jan was then told that if she failed her mission, Jan would be vaporized, her father would be killed, her sister Karen would go blind, and her sister Susan would be taken and forced to complete the mission herself. The aliens then told Jan that there was food for her in the icebox when she checked it was all of her favorite foods. After sleeping again, Jan woke up to find one of the walls had been removed and she w- realized she was in the back of a motorhome. When she left the bed back bedroom, she found B passed out on a couch. His eyes were closed, his head and right hand were covered in blood, so at first Jan feared that B was dead. When she shook him, B woke up and told Jan while they were driving to the stables A bright white light came out of the sky and the car started to shake. He said they told him that they wanted Jan and he tried to fight them off, but the aliens overpowered him. B told Jan, I love you so much, I would die for you if I had to. B said they told him to start driving south and they'd contact him again with more instructions. Jan then told B about the mission that she was given and told him she was outright terrified. B told Jan she was chosen because of her strong belief in God. He then reminded her that Mary had probably also been scared when she became pregnant with Jesus and that Jan should do as she's told, you know, just like Mary did. So not only was B not surprised by the mission, but he immediately supported it Because he's a fucking creep. And I'm going to say that a lot in this. B and Jan continued to head south and eventually ended up in Mexico. They easily crossed the border by putting a hat on Jan and claiming B was just taking a small vacation with his son. The intercom continued to give Jan instructions. One day it told her to check the cabinet in which Jan found a series of books which were meant to teach her. How to Make a Baby.
1: Oh, God. Yep.
2: Oh, is that our first? (laughs) (laughs)
1: It's up there. It's It's close. Uh,
2: One of the books contained photos of naked children doing adult things with each other, as well as with adults. The mental anguish this man put this child through is shocking, and I know he never once considered what he was doing to her specifically but b then suggested that if they were going to have a baby they should probably get married again he was 38 she was 12 he then got naked in front of her before going to have a shower and when jan was understandably horrified b laughed and said oh i've got nothing to hide especially if we're getting married this was around the time that the uh sexual abuse started. Yeah. While in Mexico B would drive the motor home to a new location every few days, Jan was starting to get bored as she desperately missed going to school, but she was also terrified about the mission that she was given and even more so that she'd fail. And those pesky aliens continued to remind Jan about the penalties that her family would face while telling her she had to do whatever makes her male companion happy. It's a horror show, this entire thing enrages me, and I'm gonna probably just yell for the next hour and a half.
1: Just so we're all clear. I get that. Yeah.
2: So not only was this monster keeping Jan from her family, while also sexually and mentally abusing her, he also drugged her, he gave her special vitamins every day, uh, which were basically sleeping pills... Then on November 19th, more than 30 days after B and Jan were last seen, B's brother, Joe, called the Brobergs. He said that B had called him, and while he refused to say where they were, he said that Jan was safe. Apparently, B and I have very different definitions of the word safe.
1: (laughs) Great point.
2: B said that he would have brought Jan back weeks ago if the Brobergs hadn't contacted the police, which is a nice way to pass the blame off to someone else. B told Joe he would bring Jan home right away, only if the Brobergs gave him permission to marry Jan. He told them it was the only way he'd be able to return to the country with Jan without B going to jail. The Brobergs refused, Joe, who admitted in the documentary that B had sexually abused their sister when she was six and B was 12 or 13 at the time, contacted the FBI, who tapped his phone as they waited for the next call. B called again, and this time the police were able to trace the call to a motel in Mazatlan, Mexico. The Mexican police took a few days to locate the motorhome, but on November 23rd, it was found and B surrendered peacefully. While at the jail, B gave a guard his wedding ring in exchange for being able to talk to Jan privately. And while I am relieved that the police found Jan, letting her abductor speak with her privately is not the move. While they spoke, B told Jan that he was being beaten and it was all her parents' fault because they had called the police. He then told Jan her family... uh, to, to. He told Jan to tell her family that he had simply taken her on vacation and that he had made a mistake by going too far. B then told Jan she couldn't tell her family about the vitamins he gave her every day or about the things that they do to make a baby. He also stressed that she couldn't tell her family about the aliens or the mission as the aliens might find out that she's told people and then vaporize her. When the Brobergs arrived, Jan told them that it was their fault that B was in jail and that he loved her and wouldn't let anything bad happen to her. On November 26th, Jan was taken to a gynecologist who found no evidence of sexual abuse. Which I find interesting because we absolutely know that sexual abuse was going on, so I don't know how it could have gone unnoticed But the Brobergs were relieved, and they truly believed that nothing untoward had gone on. And for those who are screaming, how did they not know? Let's add to that feeling by looking at the red flags surrounding Bee leading up to Jan's abduction. At one point, Bee outright asked Marianne what she would do if he ever kidnapped Jan and took her to an unknown location. Marianne simply said she knew he would never do anything like that. B said he was joking because, quote, I don't want Jan. I want you. Oh, Marianne's complete faith in B shows just how successful he was at manipulating them. B corresponded with families in Mexico. Looking to adopt a daughter. According to audio recordings that Bee made with an alleged therapist, B said he went to Mexico, where the families lined up rows of young girls. And he touched each of their faces until he decided on one that he liked. He described her as fair-skinned with blue eyes and said that she was, quote, the kind of little girl I could love. Oh, God. This man is oh. so fucking gross. Uh, B ended up choosing an eight year old girl named Rosa Maria. Her family agreed to let B adopt her, believing she would be given a better life in America. However, when B arrived at the border with the child, the Border Patrol refused to let him into the country with the child, so she was sent back to her family. B then went back to the United States. And next time brought his wife Gail with him so that it looked probably more okay. Yeah. Uh, But but this time, Rosa Maria's mother changed her mind and wouldn't let her daughter go with them. And I wonder if that woman knows that she saved her daughter's
1: life by changing her mind. Yeah, I don't know.
2: I can't imagine what hell that child would have lived through had she gone with them. Uh, still continuing on with his red flags, because there were many. In June 1973, Jan went to the Birchtolds, went with the Birchtolds on a family vacation to Seattle. Why? I don't know. (laughs) B said that Jan was acting strangely. So he took her back to the motel where she fell asleep really quickly, maybe as though she'd been drugged. Jan said she remembers waking up groggy and seeing B standing in the room, naked. Later that same summer, Jan and her sisters had a sleepover at the Birchtold's house. All the kids slept out on the trampoline in the backyard. During the night, Jan woke up to discover that her underwear had been pulled down. Disturbed by this, she went into the house to talk to Gail. B said that he was watching the kids from the bedroom window, and he noticed Jan was restless and kind of thrashing around in her sleep without being asked. B then immediately said, oh, I didn't do anything. He said, quote, I didn't touch you and would never do anything to hurt you. You have to believe me. Jan ended up spending the rest of the night with Gail in a different room. When someone immediately denies any guilt, despite not being accused in the first place, it really gives the impression that they have something to hide. Also that summer, B approached Bob and Marianne and asked them if they'd take care of his kids if something were to happen to him and Gail. The Brobergs hesitated, because again, we're talking five children, and the Brobergs already had three. Um... Uh, the Brobergs then suggested maybe B should choose a family member instead. And in classic B fashion, without being told yes, he immediately assumed that they would and then asked if he could return the favor and take the girls if something were to happen to Bob and Marianne. Bob said he'd already made arrangements with his brother Richard to take the girls. They kind of they were twins, so they said they would both take each other's children should something happen. And then B asked to see any legal documents they had that proved that. So, for whatever reason, the Brobergs showed B their documents, <sighs> which included the girl's birth certificates. After Jan was recovered in Mexico, the Brobergs discovered that Jan's birth certificate was missing, as was Susan's. They believed that B had taken both certificates, but why would he? What use would B have with Jan or Susan's birth certificates? Well, B likely used Jan's birth certificate when he legally married her in Mexico. You heard me correctly. While hiding out in Mexico, B married Jan. He claimed he only did it because he believed it was the only way they could safely cross the border together and return home. He said, quote, It's not like we had a real ceremony. I paid some guy to get me a marriage certificate so Jan would be safe. Again, using that word safe when you're doing absolutely everything opposite of safe for that child. Yeah. Absolutely nothing about marrying that man would have made Jan safe. If nothing else, it would have made it more difficult for Jan to get away from him. Thing is, at the time... B, was legally married to Gail. So technically, the marriage to Jan wouldn't have been legal. However, in the 70s, it was legal for a 12-year-old girl to get married in Mexico. God. Thankfully, since 2014, which is a bit recent, uh, the minimum age for marriage in Mexico is now 18. However... Boys as young as 16 and girls as young as 14 can still be married in Mexico if they have the consent of their parents, which doesn't make me feel better about it. No. So is it possible that B took Jan's birth certificate because he planned to marry her? Yes. But why also take Susan's birth certificate as well? Probably because Susan was his backup plan. It was never outright said, but as you may recall from earlier, the aliens told Jan if she didn't go through with the mission, her sister Susan would be taken in her place.
1: Oh, God. So
2: I can only assume that B was just covering all bases. But speaking of B's marriage to Gail... The couple married in June 1961 when Gail was 18 and B was 25. However, they started dating years prior. B was 20 and Gail was 14. So I guess we can just add Gail to the list of people who were groomed by Robert Birchtold. Yep. In January 1974, 10 months before the abduction the LDS church discovered that B was having an inappropriate relationship with a young girl. I don't know the details or the age of the child, but instead of warning the congregation about a predator or even kicking B out of the church, they simply quietly told him, go see a therapist. And the absolute fucking kook of a therapist that B went to later had his license revoked for questionable practices. What kind of questionable practices, you ask? Uh, Like how during their sessions the therapist would make audio recordings of B's feelings towards young girls and things he would like to do to them and how he felt about them. Then the therapist suggested that to be cured of these disturbing thoughts, B needed to lie in bed with a young girl while listening to those recordings. Now, I don't know how much the Brobergs knew about the incident with the other child, but they knew that therapy was involved. And from what I've read, it seems that B had told them the therapy was to help him curb his desire and get over his obsession with Jan. So had he told them in the moment outright that he was obsessed with their daughter because that's kind of what it sounds like. But regardless as to his reason for the therapy, B approached the Brobergs and told them that part of his therapy required him to spend time alone with Jan. And they said yes. That's a what moment,
1: folks. That's a what?
2: <laughs> that, Yeah. I think for me, maybe them, uh, the aliens might have been the first what, uh, followed by the second... Being uh, he married her because he thought that was the safest choice. Okay, but uh, but yeah, you're right. This is the first like, get the fuck up like that. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Yes. Uh,
2: Now, the documentary claimed that B laid in bed with Jan, but the Brobergs claimed that B sat on the bed on top of the blankets while Jan was under the covers, like attempting to sleep or whatever. He would also often, like, read her stories, that kind of thing. But he would listen to the recordings during that same time. Recordings included such vile lines as, quote, I knew that I found the little girl that I was searching for. And then after a point when he started talking about kissing her, he said, quote, No man could love any woman more. Gross. Not a woman. Nope. She's a fucking child. So, whether be laid in the bed with Jan or sat there while she was in bed, uh, however it worked, it happened four times a week for six months. Marianne said, quote, Neither one of us were comfortable with him doing it, but it was part of his therapy. Again, I know they were naive and completely manipulated by this man, but B's therapy was not your problem. If you're uncomfortable, it's probably because your gut is trying to prevent you from making a mistake. Gail blamed the abduction on the fact that B suffered from manic depression. B blamed the Brobergs. (laughs) He claimed they contributed to his mental problems because they knew about his depression And yet they encouraged him to spend time with them and their children. Which, for Christ's sake, that's a weak fucking excuse. Also, the Brobergs claimed that they didn't know about his depression until after he kidnapped Jan. B also blamed his childhood. He told Bob that he needed the therapy because he had been sexually abused by an aunt when he was a child. Do I believe that? I do not. Because three years later in court, B said that he was sexually abused by the workers at his stepfather's ranch. So it's almost like he forgot who the abuser was uh, first time around. Right. Uh, it feels like B was still manipulating the Brobergs by shifting the blame to them so that they wouldn't go through with the trial. And while the police told the Brobergs to stay far away from the Birchtolds, God, Mary Ann just really struggled with the idea of losing their friends. On Christmas Eve, about a month after Jan returned home, Gail went to the Broberg house to speak privately with Bob. She asked Bob to drop the charges against Bee, and said if they didn't, B would publicly expose something about Bob that could cause him to be seen as an unfit parent. What was that thing? Get ready for big what number two. Oh, in late 1972, B and Bob were out for a drive when B pulled over in a deserted area. B told Bob that his marriage was in crisis and he desperately needed some sort of sexual release. He claimed that he and Gail hadn't had sex in over a year. Bob noticed that B had an erection. So Bob told him, well... Go home and rectify the situation with your wife. However, B suggested that, you know, since we're here, maybe Bob help him out. Bob was stunned. Bob said, or Bob B told him, just just reach over here and help me out. Bob said no. B kept begging him. He said, quote, it's just kid stuff, you know, that we did with our brothers and cousins on the farm. Now, I may not have been raised on a farm, but I just don't believe that's true. But B had a plan and needed something to blackmail Bob with in the future. So he made it seem like it was no big deal. Like some loser in high school that tries to force his girlfriend into having sex by saying, everyone's doing it. And shockingly, Bob gave in. (laughs) And to be blunt, because I just don't know a nicer way of saying it, Bob gave B a a handjob.
1: <laughs> and that, my dear listeners, is what? Number two. I, I mean, will say
2: of everything in this, this is not the thing I thought was going to happen.
1: Not in a million years. It's again, it's the. Yeah, I. Yeah.
2: I know. I, I know. Again. up. Bob said it was the most shameful thing he's ever done. And I think because of it, Bob was just less interested in the Birch Tolds than his family was. Because after that, Bob was like, I'm done with them. I don't need to deal with it. But Marianne and Jan were like, not done with that family. B threatened to tell the church that Bob was gay and that he had forced himself on B. The church would likely throw him out, and Bob would be seen as an unfit parent and have his kids taken away. It was a different time. Of course, B was just using a situation that he had caused to further manipulate the Brobergs into doing what he wanted. If the sexual moment between them had been made public, it would have been Bob's word against B's, and likely both men would have been shunned. The church. So the threat was also potentially harmful to B, but Bob didn't see it that way. B later admitted, quote, I entered into a homosexual relationship with her father in order to have access to Jan. I had a fixation on Jan. I don't know why, but I did. If I had to guess, B, I'd say it was probably because you're a pedophile, you fucking creep. Anyhow, <laughs> yeah. Gail said that B also threatened to admit that he had an affair with Marianne, who said that it had not gotten physical between them by that point. But if it was found out that both had an affair with B, they could be seen as unfit parents and lose their children. Again, different time. And in a move that we didn't see coming to keep the affairs secret, Marianne and Bob gave in to B's demands and agreed to sign affidavits stating the kidnapping was just one big misunderstanding
1: i think that might be a what moment too but anyway yeah. we're going to see um the story just keeps getting wilder folks i know what you're thinking it couldn't take any more turns guess again guess again uh, let's take a break. Hit the can, grab another drink, and we're going to be back with more on this truly wild episode. Uh, objected in plain sight on True Crime and Cocktails.
0: Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill patio sunset—hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time! That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle, find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.
1: Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're of course discussing the abducted in plain sight documentary. Before the break... Things got wild when the Brobergs decided to sign affidavits uh, saying that B was not to blame for taking their child for an extended period of time. What's the next in this parade of horrors?
2: <laughs> well, those very affidavits had statements like, quote, my daughter was not taken by force or against her will nor was she held or confined against her will at any time while in the company of the defendant. Marianne's specific statement, quote, "...under all circumstances, I honestly believe there is a strong possibility that the defendant was under the impression he had my husband's and my consent to take my daughter with him when he left in October." And while it is shocking to most of us that they even agreed to sign these in the first place, according to the Brobergs, something that was left out of the documentary is the fact that the Brobergs retracted those affidavits four days after signing them. B's trial got postponed, and after 30 days in prison, he was released. Uh, B took the opportunity to move south to Ogden, Utah, where he went to work at his brother Joe's car dealership. Joe said that B was immediately one of his best sellers, as he seemed to have a gift of selling people anything. And yeah, Joe, your brother was a master manipulator. Keep up, Joe. <laughs> Anyhow, I mean, look, at least Joe called the FBI at one point. I will say that.
1: Yes, but. that's true.
2: On weekends, B would make the 129-mile or 208-kilometer journey from Ogden to Pocatello to visit his family and attend church. And the grossest part is the congregation welcomed him back with open arms like he wasn't a complete monster. B waited outside of Jan's Sunday school class and told her she would be hearing from him soon. So if a stranger handed her a note, she should read it. What kind of note? Well, B would have random adults that Jan didn't know go to her school and give her secret notes that would tell her to go to secret locations where she would receive further instructions such as calling a certain number or going to a secondary location. Who were the people that volunteered for this? Was B putting Jan in harm's way by having fellow pedophiles interact with her? What kind of person would agree to pass notes between a grown man and a child? I don't get it. B also sent Jan love letters to her house and he sent her a bouquet of roses on the opening night of the community summer musical that Jan was in. The card was signed quote "Love you forever B. That's that's if any time was the time, if you weren't gonna do it before, that's the time to take a step back. <sighs> there were so many times before that, but that's the time you're like, whoa, no, no. No, thanks. No. B B also waited outside of uh, her school so he could see her for a few brief moments. When they saw each other in private, B would tell Jan not to worry. They'd complete the mission. And then he'd remind her she shouldn't tell anybody or she'd die. By this point, Jan started telling her mother she missed Bee and she wanted to marry him, which was probably pretty awkward for Marianne to hear, especially since at the time, Marianne had officially started an affair with Bee.
1: That's a what moment! That's a what moment! Yeah! How now brown cow how now Mm -hmm. this man Mm -hmm. took your child for five weeks yep
2: i can't oh i i also still don't understand how people in the church were like he took her for five weeks why And and that they were all just like hey buddy welcome back man How you doing, bro? I don't know why everybody's bros and buddies, but the point is, again, what? Anyhow. So four or five months after Jan returned home, Marianne started a physical affair with B. He told her, oh, yeah, that time when I kidnapped your kid. I didn't want to take her on that trip. I really wanted to be with you. Gross. Gross. Yep. Gross. B poured his heart out to Marianne. He claimed, Here we get gross again. Quote, Every time I saw Jan, I thought of you. Every time I saw her cooking, I imagined you. Everything she did reminded me of how much I wanted you. That statement in itself is a problem, Marianne. Yeah. Still, quote, During our time in Mexico, it was clear to me that everything I felt was for you. It would be the perfect life if you and the girls moved to Utah with me and we became a family. Marianne said she was completely in love with him and that he brought an excitement to her life that had long since been missing. Between April 1975 and March 1976, Marianne said she met with B 11 times. During that same time frame B secretly met with Jan nine times. And somehow two of those times they spent the night together twice without anyone knowing. I'd love to know how no one knew. Yeah. B would call Bob and tell him he was going to lose his family. Then B would tell Marianne she should leave Bob and they'd get their own apartment together. When Marianne said no, B would tell her Bob doesn't want her anymore anyway. Again, still manipulating her. B eventually called Bob and outright told him about the affair. So in March 1976, Bob filed for divorce and took the kids, which seemed to make Marianne come to her senses and end the affair. Bob and Marianne did eventually reunite. But around this time the white intercom box from the motorhome appeared in Jan's bedroom. It would continually remind her of the mission and that if she failed, she would be vaporized, her father would be killed, her sister Karen would go blind, and her sister Susan would be chosen to take her place. Which is just an incredible amount of weight to put on a child's shoulders. B then told Jan that he was getting a divorce. So he'd work out a way that they could get married. And I'm sure he made the divorce seem like his idea, but Gail had finally had enough of B's bullshit and she took their kids and left him. B told Jan that he was moving to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, where he had purchased a family fun center, which I assume was... We're talking like a Chuck E. Cheese arcade game style situation. Which is terrifying, terrifying when he's a pedophile. A hundred percent. Gross. 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 Uh, B suggested Jan spend the summer working for him so they could figure out a plan to get married and complete their mission. On June 8th, 1976, B was in Pocatello to receive his sentence, you know, for kidnapping Jan back in October. The judge sentenced him to five years in prison, followed by five years probation. But B took a plea deal, which dropped those five years to 45 days, which included time served, and uh, that means he was only required to spend 15 days in jail. Jan begged her parents to let her go to Jackson Hole for the summer. But they said no. B then called Marianne and said if she didn't let Jan go, Jan would hitchhike on her own. And when Marianne still said no, B just kept calling and harassing to say Jan should come stay with him in Wyoming. According to Marianne, B said, quote, I will not give up what I've fought so hard to get. No matter what I do, I've paid too high a price to let go. <clears throat> Mary, when, ooh. Oh, God. <clears throat> that hangy ball in the back of my throat just, the you could almost hear the, <clears throat> of all the <laughs> liquid in it drying out immediately. So, <clears throat> woo. Marianne still said no. B told her, quote, you'll be sorry if I have to. I'll take her to the jungles of Africa or South America, and you'll never see her again. On July 27, 1976, Marianne returned home from a grocery trip to discover that Jan was gone. Marianne learned that Jan, who was just days away from turning 14, had taken a taxi to the airport. Marianne put her other daughters in the car and raced to the airport. But when she got to the gate, again, it was a different time. Yeah. She saw Jan preparing to board. Marianne yelled for her to stop. Jan just smiled and waved and got on the plane. And just like that, Jan flew to Wyoming, where she spent her days working at B's Family Fun Center and her nights with B at his motorhome. The Brobergs contacted their attorney, and B was told if he didn't send Jan home, he would be charged with child endangerment. B told Jan her parents were ruining everything, and that if she didn't go back, he'd have to go to jail. So after two weeks, B reluctantly brought Jan back to Idaho, complete with all the gifts he had given her, because showering Jan with gifts was all part of his manipulation and grooming. Jan called her father from a payphone to say she was back in town and she needed a ride home. When Bob arrived, he saw B, who ran for the car, shouted, thanks for everything, before blowing a kiss at Jan and speeding off. I've said it before and I'll say it again, Robert Birchtold was a vile man. Bob got Jan into his car, loaded up all the birthday gifts that had been given her, which included a sewing machine, this fact will become relevant momentarily. Once Jan was home, the Brobergs believed their trouble was over. However, Bee would not stop calling them. Whenever Bob heard Bee's voice, he just hung up immediately. Marianne, though, would take the calls and listened as Bee threatened to take Jan away, telling Marianne she'd never find her daughter. One of Marianne's daughters suggested maybe they changed their phone number, but Marianne said if they did, B would find out what the new one was and keep calling. At one point, B said, quote, I will have Jan, so help me God. I have made promises to her I intend to keep. On the morning of August 10th, 1976, Bob went downstairs to wake Jan and discovered she was missing. She had left a note that read, quote, Dear Bob and Marianne, you won't let me do what's right, so I'll do what's wrong. It ended with, quote, I just want to be me and have bee. please, before all of us are destroyed, let me go. Soon after, B called the Brobergs frantic and said, What in the hell's happened? I just got a phone call from Jan saying she ran away from home. Marianne, said they hadn't heard from Jan and they had no idea where she was when B called them again he told them Mary he told Marianne that Jan told him she would only return home if her parents gave her permission to marry B Marianne refused B called constantly saying he'd spoken with Jan and she'd come home but only if they were allowed to get married He also said Jan was hitchhiking around and working as a sex worker and selling drugs for money. She wasn't, but we'll get to that. In the hopes of getting them to say yes, when they still said no, B yelled, quote, It's obvious you're not concerned about Jan. That little girl could be anywhere and you couldn't care less. Another time, B told Marianne, quote, I guess it's up to me to find her since you don't seem to give a damn. The Brobergs then made another decision that will make us all scream. And they waited two weeks before contacting the police. What?
1: That's another what moment. That is what number four. Thank you
2: so much. Uh, Why'd they wait? Because they feared what the press would say if they learned that Jan was gone a second time. (sighs) Two weeks after she disappeared, Jan called her father at work to tell him that she wanted to come home, but he needed to sign the papers she said if you love me you'll sign the papers b then called bob and said he would give bob anything he wanted if he would just give b permission to marry jan what could b possibly offer bob well he offered bob money he offered him his car he offered him his children b offered to just give bob all of his children, which Bob didn't want, I might add. But Bob was adamant that Jan would not be marrying B. On September 1st, Jan had been missing for three weeks when Gail Birchtold dropped B off at the Bannock County Jail to serve his 15 days. While in town, Gail stopped by the Broberg house. Marianne asked Gail if she'd heard from Jan. Gail said no. Gail uh, then said, while well, she's here, she's going to pick up that sewing machine that B had given for Jan uh, for her birthday. Gail said it was an expensive gift and she could actually really use it. Marianne said no. And I would have personally shut the door in her face. Um, And Gail, I get that she's... A victim of bees, in ways as well, but to ask for a gift your husband gave a girl who is now missing feels like you're saying, "Well, she isn't using it," which is fucking gross, Gail. It's, yeah. And speaking of Gail being gross, while talking to Marianne, Gail said that B told her Jan wanted to marry him, and Gail. Had the audacity to say quote, Well, if she were my child, I would give my permission. I'd rather have her married and know where she is than go through this uncertainty. <laughs> well, Gail, I am glad that Jan was not your child, yeah, also by the point way at this point, Gail and B were divorced, so you didn't have a horse in the race anymore, Gail. Yeah, great Get point. Out.
1: Great point. Get
2: out. Uh, and while I'm enraged, I'll add that B was sentenced to 15 days. He was let out after 10. Took his motor home and left town. <clears throat> after his divorce from Gail, B started dating a divorcee named Stacy, who worked for B's attorney. <gasps> Stacy had a daughter a few years younger than Jan, so I can only assume that since Stacy willingly dated him and let him around her child, that Bee's lawyer had some strict lawyer client privilege, confidentiality sort of thing, because I can't imagine she'd date him if she knew the things that he had done. I could be wrong, of course. Bee told Marianne about his new relationship, saying that Stacy was just a poor substitute for Marianne. Because B couldn't stand to be alone. He couldn't stand to be alone is the first, I think, honest thing he's ever said. But neither here nor there. Yeah. On October 3rd, B called Marianne to say he had some vital information about Jan. He said he knew the phone was bugged, so he would only tell her in person. Marianne agreed to meet B at a cafe on the border of Utah and Idaho, but said she'd be bringing Bob with her. B said, either she comes alone or doesn't come at all. Marianne arrived alone, and B just started blaming Bob for Jan running away. He said, if he'd given his permission for Jan to marry me, we wouldn't be going through this. I've said it before, I'll say it again, this man is vile. Uh, Speaking of which, when Marianne asked B if he really wanted to marry Jan, B said, quote, there will never be anybody for me but Jan. Never. Jesus. He also said, quote, Just the sound of her voice on the phone puts me into orbit. Vile! Yeah. Vile! Again, at this point, B is 40 and Jan is 14. 14. B then got angry and said Bob was stubborn and hard-headed and suggested that he had previously tried to kill Bob. Months prior, Bob had been called to do flowers for a last-minute funeral. B claims he faked the call and parked across the street pointing a gun at Bob when he arrived at the shop, but B never pulled the trigger. Why would he be so angry at Bob? I'm guessing because Bob was the only member of the Broberg family who saw B for what he truly was. Bob was B's only real barrier to Jan, and he hated Bob for it. And while there was no evidence that B was involved in Jan's second disappearance, both the Brobergs and the police believed that he was. So police kept a close eye on B, and about 90 days after Jan was last seen, Police located B's motorhome in a trailer park in Salt Lake City. When questioned, B said he hadn't seen Jan since July 31st when he dropped her off in Pocatello, and that he had no idea where she was. And inside his motorhome were photos of Jan that were enlarged to poster size. I, I mean... I don't even have poster-sized photos of my own children. The only poster-sized photo I have features John Larroquette, (laughs) but that's a reasonable thing for an adult to own, I'll have you know. And not to be glib here, I'm just saying that at this point, B was openly advertising that he was a predator, which feels like he was confident he was never going to get caught. On November 12th, the FBI set up taps on his phone and the Brobergs as well as surveillance at B's motorhome. One day, the officers noticed B go to a payphone at a gas station. When B walked away, they noticed the phone book was open and there was a handwritten number on one of the pages. The number was traced to Flint Ridge Sacred Heart Academy, a Catholic girls' school in California. When officers contacted the school, they were told there was no student by that na- by the name of Jan Broberg or even Jan Birchtold. But after some coaxing, the school admitted they did have a new student this year who was named Janice Tobler. One of the nuns admitted she received a phone call on August 18th from a man named Frank Tobler, who claimed to be a CIA agent stationed in Laos. B claimed he was being evacuated from the country and he needed a safe place for his daughter to go. He also claimed his wife had recently died of cancer and that he was on the f- on a first-name basis with then-President Gerald Ford. B also asked the school to promise to keep his daughter identity hidden from anyone who comes asking for her because, you know, the bad guys are chasing him. And the first place he'll go is looking for his daughter. And not only am I angry that he full well knew where Jan was, even when he was calling and begging her parents for any news about her. I'm also sickened by the fact that during the first kidnapping, Jan was bored and complained about not attending school. So this time around, he planned a school for her to attend so her boredom would no longer be his problem. So he took, he looked at what happened the first time and learned from it to make it better the second time, which is fucking gross. So how did Jan get to California in the first place? Well, on the night she disappeared, B tapped on her bedroom window as a signal. You know, the bedroom she used to share with her sister, but then B, ever so out of the goodness of his heart, had the room separated so she was on her own. You remember that room?
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, he tapped on her window. That was the signal that he was going to get her out. But she said her mother was still awake. So they waited. He came back for her around 1.30 a.m. and asked her if she had left a note. And she said she had. And she said she had written it exactly as B had told her. As they drove from the house, B reminded Jan about the mission and told her he was angry at her father for not letting them get married. Jan then said she was going to be sick and B had to pull the car over. The fact that he didn't care about the immense stress he was putting on her is also enraging to me. B dropped Jan off with some friends that he referred to as the Blacks. I'm assuming that was their last name or the fake name he had told Jan. Jan was told they were nice people who would take care of her. Jan stayed with them for a couple of weeks before being sent to the school. And even though Jan only attended the school for a few weeks, she said she genuinely liked it. But since B had been so convincing about her identity, it took the FBI multiple attempts before the Academy would believe that Janice Tobler was really Jan Broberg. But once it was all figured out, B was arrested for violating his probation and for first-degree kidnapping, and Jan was forced to spend a night in jail as she had been initially reported as a runaway. Jan was returned home in mid-November, but after Jan returned, she became a completely different person. She was distant, she was throwing tantrums, she would either give her parents the silent treatment or would scream at them for separating her from B. Of course, at the time, they didn't realize Jan was living in constant fear because she truly, truly believed if she failed that mission, her family would suffer. In January 1977, two months after Jan returned home, Bob's flower shop burnt down. Bob believed B was involved, but Jan secretly believed it was her punishment for not having completed her mission yet. The reality was that two former inmates, who both had been in jail at the same time as B, were arrested. 21-year-old Russell Mee and 20-year-old Lloyd Lockhart Jr. arrived or admitted to the crime. They said B asked them to burn the store as he hated the owner and his hope was the owner would be caught inside when the store burned down.
1: Boy.
2: B allegedly gave them a layout of the flower shop and told them there was a room at the bottom of the stairs that was full of paper boxes and other flammable material. B alleged, uh, B agreed to pay the men a thousand dollars a month for the crime. The fire consumed nearly half a block, forcing thirteen businesses to relocate. However, there was no physical proof that B was ever involved. B was in prison at the time, awaiting his trial for the second kidnapping. Russell and Lloyd were both. Uh, uh, were both found guilty and sent back to prison. B was charged with second-degree arson and first-degree burglary, which led to him taking a bunch of sleeping pills on February 4th. He was transported to a hospital where he was treated for a minor overdose and sent back to prison where he would have former cellmates deliver letters to Jan, including taking them to her house. And leaving them in the mailbox without postage. The letters told Jan of B's undying love and devotion and included disgusting lines like, quote, Please, darling, don't fail me, and quote, Only your love can save me. In May, B's attorney filed a motion for an acquittal based on B's mental defect. Russell Mee was scheduled to testify against B in exchange for immunity, and Jan testified that she left willingly, and that B had not kidnapped her at all. B's attorney filed a motion to have the charges dismissed, but the judge refused. B ended up being acquitted of the second kidnapping, and a judge ordered him to spend six months in a maximum security mental facility in Boise. The excuses that B gave for his behavior was that he was abused as a child, and that He had grown up taking care of his little sister, so as an adult, he still had that need to want to care for a little girl, which is why he kidnapped Jan. And to that I say, fucking bullshit. We're supposed to believe that your desire to care for a little girl was so great, you had no choice but to kidnap one. If it was about taking care of a little girl, wouldn't, I don't know, Raising your own daughter? <laughs> I was just going to say enough? that. Yes. And because, the, also, darkly enough, his brother Joe has already told us he sexually, that B sexually abused his little sister. So that's what he meant about a girl like his little sister, but neither and, here nor there. And
1: taking care. He had a very 100%. twisted. Yeah.
2: Uh, and because this case never stops being enraging, just halfway through that six month sentence, Two supposed experts claimed that B was well and needed no further care, so he was released. When Jan turned 16 in the summer of 1978, she realized that she and her family were safe, despite Jan not completing the mission. Jan then started to analyze the things the aliens had told her and slowly started to realize that none of it was real. She finally told her parents the truth about B, the aliens, and the secret mission to have a baby. Over their time together, Jan said that B sexually abused her more than 200 times. Oof. And B, while B is the main villain in this story, there were people who enabled him to commit the crimes that he did. For example, the Brobergs. I said it before, I'll say it again. Yes, they were also victims that B completely groomed and manipulated. However, they agreed to let Jan do things that they weren't even comfortable with when they just should have said no. They also continued a relationship with a man even after he took their daughter out of the country without their permission. It's not like he was just like, you know what? I'm just, we're going to go, we're going to go a little further. Then why did you have no contact with your parents? Why didn't you call them at any point? It's because you were kidnapping her, you asshole. Anyhow, woo. It never should have gotten to the level of him taking her out of the country, but once it did, there was no excuse for them to let it go even further after that. I am relieved that they wouldn't agree to let Jan and B get married, but overall in this story, Bob and Marianne made a lot of bad choices, and in the end, they failed Jan. I'm sorry, but it's true. Also, Marianne admitted that when the school system was looking to add sex education to the curriculum, Marianne was one of the people who fought against the idea. She said, quote, I believe my children should hear about sensitive subjects from us, and we would decide when it was time for the birds and bees conversation. And I know it was a different time, but telling your kids about certain things early is a good way for them to realize when an adult is doing something inappropriate yes. with them. Another enabler... For B was the LDS church. They caught him being inappropriate with a young girl and did not do anything to warn the community he was living in. They didn't kick him out of their church. They didn't contact the police. They did nothing. And yet if Bob and Marianne's sexual relationships with B had come to light, the church likely would have kicked them out. The priorities were very mixed up. Uh, another person... Who enabled B was his wife, Gail. Again, yes, she was one of his victims, especially since he groomed Gail since she was 14 years old. But Gail knew who B was, and she said nothing. She also allegedly asked the Brobergs not to call the police after that first kidnapping because she didn't want her husband to get in trouble. And look, I am sympathetic to what Gail has been through, but even after divorcing the monster, she still suggested Marianne, let be Mary Jan. And knowing what she went through as Bee's wife, I'm disgusted she was okay with the idea of a child going through that. Not to mention the summer when Jan was sleeping over on the trampoline and her underwear was down. The first thing Bee allegedly said to Gail was, quote, I didn't touch her which sounds like a guilty man saying what his wife is thinking because they've already had that kind of conversation before. Mm -hmm. So what happened to everyone in this story since the second kidnapping? After Atkin Florist burnt down, Bob Broberg rented a new location a few doors down from the original one. He started over from scratch He was able to reopen and manage the shop for 38 years until his retirement in 1999. In 2006, Bob and Marianne moved to St. George, Utah. Bob passed away in November 2018 at the age of 80. The Broberg's middle daughter, Karen, is now married with five children. She has been a math teacher for over 30 years and currently resides in Arizona. The youngest Broberg, Susan, went on to become a lawyer Focusing on immigration law, she lives in Utah. Gail Birchtold got remarried in 1988 to a former Marine named James Wadman. Sadly, he passed away in April 2015 following a long illness. Gail and her five children have since tried to live away from the public eye. On Thanksgiving in 1984, B called the Brobergs, but they hung up on him. He sent a letter a few weeks later stating he was getting remarried, but he learned that he and Jan were still legally married from that pesky little trip to Mexico. He asked Jan to agree to meet with his lawyer just to get it all sorted out. Jan chose not to respond. Two months later, B sent another letter saying he didn't get married after all because, quote, I am convinced that everyone is allowed one love per lifetime. I've had mine. Oh god. He entered he ended the letter with quote, "I will always be here for you. All my love." Leave them alone.
3: <laughs> just oh, it's too much.
2: Can't. Since B was already married at the time of this sham marriage, it was never legally binding. So clearly the monster was just looking for a way to get back into Jan's life. I'm glad he was denied. In July 1990, Bee married a woman named Deanna Wiley. They remained married until Bee's death. Marianne Broberg went back to school and earned a degree in social work. She later worked to change laws restricting prosecution for offenders of sexual violence against minors and even helped to bring the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children to Idaho. In October 2003, Marianne released a book called Stolen Innocence, the Jan Broberg story. B immediately said it was full of lies. He accused Marianne of trying to make a buck off him. He threatened to make the Broberg's lives miserable, as though he hadn't succeeded in doing that already. He also followed them on the book tour and handed out flyers that listed what he claimed were all of the lies in the book. In 2004, he took them to court, likely as just an excuse to see Jan again and to try and convince them to stop selling the book. In March 2004, while Jan was speaking at a women's conference at Dixie State College in Utah, Bee showed up with more flyers and a gun. However, he couldn't get inside the event because the Bikers Against Child Abuse group were there as security. For those who are unaware... Bikers Against Child Abuse is a charitable organization that protects children from dangerous people and situations. For example, if a child victim needs to testify against their abusers, members of the organization will accompany the child to and from the court, offering protection and support. I hate that it's needed, but I love them for what they do. At the event in 2004, B threatened one of the bikers and ran over another one while trying to flee the scene. Thanks to the more than 40 people who witnessed the incident, B was arrested and charged with aggravated assault and weapons possession. He was found guilty of both. A judge then granted Jan a restraining order against B, who, of course, tried to contest it, but failed. On November 11, 2005, while awaiting sentencing, B. took his own life by consuming a bottle of heart medication and some Kahlua. He had previously told his brother Joe that just one day in prison would destroy him. And I have to believe that has to do with what prisoners tend to do to pedophiles in prison, but maybe I'm wrong. Robert Birchtold was 69 at the time of his death. In B.'s obituary, his family mentioned B.'s beautiful singing voice, The fact that he was a successful salesman with, quote, an outgoing and pleasant personality and made friends with all he met. However, it's so weird. The obituary neglected to mention that in 1986, B was convicted on two counts of raping a child in Salt Lake City. B pled guilty and only served one year in prison for the crime. And this was just 10 years after his second abduction of Jan. You know, after uh, he was sent to a mental facility and multiple experts claimed Bob was cured and safe to be in the community. Robert Birch told deserved so much more prison time than he ever got. Since his death, six women have come forward to say that they were also sexually assaulted by him when they were children. Jan Broberg had a son named Austin during her first marriage. Austin is now the head producer of the Jan Broberg podcast. Jan has since married a man named Larry Felt. Jan told Vanity Fair, quote, I've been married and divorced a number of times. I'm certain it's because each of those relationships helped me on my path to healing, but they weren't permanent. I'm still human. I'm still in the struggle." Jan did some theater work and acting, including a few Hallmark movies and the 2002 TV series Everwood. Shout out. Treat Williams. May he rest. Jan is now a full-time advocate for abused children and has founded the Jan Broberg Foundation, which provides resources to sexual abuse survivors and their families. This wild story was the basis of the 2019 Netflix documentary Abducted in Plain Sight. Jan said she was disappointed when it came out as she was shocked when people immediately blamed her parents for what happened. Which makes me think of the once popular TikTok audio. Shocked? You're shocked? (laughs) Jan also felt the documentary left out a lot of key things, but don't worry, I've already mentioned those earlier in this episode, so... Done. You've already got it. In 2022, Peacock released a miniseries based on the case called A Friend of the Family, True Evil. Jan and Marianne both served as producers. Jan said she was relieved when the miniseries came out as she felt it was closer to what really happened. The series stars Jake Lacey as B, Colin Hanks and Anna Paquin as Bob and Marianne, And Leo Tipton as Gale, Hendrix Yancey, Yancey, Uh, and McKenna Grace play Jan at different ages. Jan said, "If you can see yourself in this story, then we succeeded. If you can watch and go, that would never happen to me. These guys were crazy, and those are stupid people. Then we failed." Reporting for this roller coaster, I'm Christy
1: Oxborough. Well, listen, let's take one more break, hit the can again, get another drink, and then we're going to come on back with our final thoughts on Abducted in Plain Sight on this episode of True Crime and Cocktails.
4: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash wondery.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
1: Welcome back to this episode of True Crime and Cocktails. We're, of course, discussing abducted in plain sight. What a ride. What a ride. (laughs) Now, one thing I picked up on that I never had before. Isn't it interesting that B had five kids with J names and then he gave Jan a nickname? It's almost as though he associated a J name with being one of his children Interesting. I just put that together when we were talking when I was listening to you this time. It's just interesting to me that he changed her name to Dolly, like that he immediately gave her a nickname. It it just felt to me like the J names were too associated with um not being able to be sexualized or something. Do you know what I mean?
2: Oh, I bet.
1: Again, that's a speculation. I'm not a psychologist, but I play one on a podcast. Ha <laughs> ha I like that a lot. You're welcome. Um, Okay, so many things. The fact that he was secretly fixing up an RV feels like a bit of a red flag. Um, Again, it's
2: just more of his long con and just how much time and effort he put into
1: this. Oh, I know. I know. The details of the alien talk also were fascinating to me because I've obviously watched the documentary as well as the the minis- series, And I don't mean this how it's going to sound, but go with me on this. I was like, the level of creativity that he got into was fascinating. I was like, it was an interesting story that he wrote. Um, obviously diabolical and evil and all of the above, but he really did put so much time, it feels like, into it and so much thought that I, I do feel like Look, when I was her age, I fully believed in aliens, and I was terrified about it. Every night I went to bed, I was terrified about getting abducted by aliens. So I know this was a different period of time, but I do feel like that age group, like, I could definitely see. The the big thing that I have compassion for here is her. Oh, yeah. She was not put in this position. She was not put in a good position. And again, to, to that point, I, I'm merely saying I would have, I think lots of kids would have, but I just personally know how deeply I would have fully believed this story. And the fact that he was, like, so magical, for lack of a better term, with how he would make the speakers show up in places that they hadn't been before. Like, it... Yeah. And it, he that kind of behavior continued with him being able to get the notes to her and have people leave her letters and whatnot. Like, it just feels very plausible in terms of, you know, especially being a 12- to 14-year-old child. I could completely see that which is so sad um and ultimately having the biggest stakes like you have to save the world you're going to die your family's going to die all of these things like yep yep he hit it all it's so gross um and i do know i i did mention this too to you in the break but i i do know that like in terms of taking Jan to the gynecologist and they were like there was no evidence of assault. I think that was a really interesting detail because her parents said, "Oh, well then that's fine then. That's there's no problem. Everything was fine." But the whole point was is that he did sexually assault her. Yep. It was just done in ways that didn't leave proof um yep. which again just led to his how, you know, m- maniacal this man was. But I think what was really sad about that was how confusing it must have been for her at that age, at any age, but that she knows what happened to her. Yeah. But then the doctor's like, no, it didn't. It's like the ultimate gaslight. It just fed into his hand so perfectly that a medical professional who it's also like, not pleasant. I don't think any of us find going to the gynecologist pleasant. Spoiler alert. Um, certainly when you're a young kid like that and you've already been through sexual trauma, to have to go through that and then have the outcome be, oh, no, nothing happened to her. And then her parents going, well, the doctor said, and I remember there was a moment, I think, in the documentary where it was like, well, the doctor said it. And it was like, oh, God, like the layers to the psychological torture this woman went through are just so deep and so heartbreaking. Um, I do have to say, you mentioned uh, that in the 70s, 12-year-olds could get married in Mexico. Um, There was actually, I believe, I should have Googled it, a book that I read about uh, a polygamist um, Mormon cult. A lot of those cults would go down to Mexico in the 70s for that exact reason. So there's a book I read that I want to say was called My the favorite wife it's a tough read tough read but it it took place in a similar situation Mm -hmm. um again the maniacal lengths to which uh in these cases uh men will go to marry children is disgusting yep um all right my first what moment was when uh (laughs) they knew that he had an obsession with Jan. They knew that he had been seeking therapy for it. Mm -hmm. And they agreed to let him be in a room alone with her. I don't care if he was sitting, standing on his head. I don't care what he was doing. I'm sorry. This is one of the places where, again, it falls apart for me. Can I wrap my head around a family in the 70s letting their children go with another family on a trip? Yes, I can. Can I wrap my head around even to the point like him being like, I want to take the kids for ice cream or horseback riding? Yeah, I'm not saying I would make that choice as a parent, but I'm saying I can wrap my head around it. I can't wrap my head around, oh, you need to listen to a tape about sexual thoughts you're having about children in a room alone with my child? Guess you have to. That one, I'm sorry. And I'm sorry to Jan. I get it that she's protective of her family. And I believe that she believes they did the best that they could. And that's a beautiful thing for, for her to be in that place. Um, I I can't wrap my head around that. That's... Nope. Again, there's some things that I'm like, yeah, I could see that happening. Uh, I could see how that could happen. This, I'm like, I sure. I, I don't. I don't. No. Nope. Oh.
2: Sorry. Oh, Yeah. I mean for so much of this I've considered it like oh god maybe it's just the time like I've I've known about child predators what feels like my whole life like I've known about it for so long and at that point in time they were just like that wasn't like they had no idea that was a thing and so I think about it and I'm like am I just looking at this from the angle of like the like the time frame that we're in but I'm like no
1: there's still stuff that I would have gone,
2: no. no. I think
1: that that's a line. I don't care yeah. what the time period is. I think I need to be in a room alone with your child while I listen to a tape yep. of me talking about the things I want to do to children. I I don't know. And I know that I I feel like there was this kind of overtone in the documentary that they were like, You know, well, we're godly people, and we want to help, and those kinds of things. But I'm like, I think that's kind of doing; it's doing a disservice to godly people. I don't think being a godly person means that you, you know. And and I know that I'm opening up a kettle of fish by even getting into it, but I'm just saying that it's like, I don't think that it's fair to 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 blame the religion for you to make that choice. Yeah. I think there's plenty of people who are religious that would not have made that choice, is my point. A hundred percent. Right? Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean that they're like bad Christians or whatever you want to call it because they were, didn't let their child get exposed to a child predator. Like, I just, I can't. Yeah. I can't. We weren't comfortable, but it was his therapy. Yeah. The I
2: second she said, I, I'm not comfortable with it, but we did it anyway. It's like,
1: oh. Yeah. It's, that's a, that's a tough one. Yeah, it's a tough one. Of course, the um, the revelation about Bob hand jobbing B uh, is, of course, my second what moment. And I do yep. remember when I watched the documentary for the first time, screaming that at the television, like just. Yeah. Here's the thing: it's not about him giving a hand job. It's nope. not about any of that. It's about the way this man infiltrated this family and yeah. literally was somehow able to manipulate the children of course their children you they were groomed of course yeah. now i understand the whole family was groomed but the fact that he managed to not only manipulate and convince jan that her life depended on them being together but also convince the father you absolutely don't have a choice you have to help me because you're again you need to help me and this like playing into that whole thing you need to do this. And then also the mother to have an affair. It's just unbelievable. It's, it's so hard to believe that it's real. And the one thing I do have to say in defense of the Brobergs is I commend them for being open and brave enough to talk about it. Because I don't know that a lot of families would be willing to talk about those things and admit yeah. this was the level of what was going on. And that was the thing that I ultimately walked away from that documentary with was while I cannot understand how people would make those choices and I can't wrap my head around it, I do commend them that they, they took ownership and they said, these are the things we did. This is what happened, um, for better or worse. And in that I'm specifically speaking about the sex stuff because that stuff is obviously also if you, you know, are religious, there is the potential of like a deep shame that you could feel for having done those things. Um, sure. you know, and then I would say just as a normal human, uh, the fact that this person, um, was of course being inappropriate with your daughter and then you did these things that, that would, I think would hold shame regardless again of your religious affiliations. <laughs> just, yep. Can't. Uh, so that was the what moment too. Um, and again, his his matter, B's matter of fact, like I entered into a homosexual relationship with her father to gain access to her. Like, it's so terrifying how calculated it is. Um, again, the parents signing the affidavits. I understand that they were they did rescind them later, a few days later. But I just again, I can't believe that's another one that's hard for me to wrap my head around. He took your child for five weeks. To Mexico, where he married her, after having stolen her birth certificate. Yep. I don't care what you're going to put out there in the press about me and what I may or may not have done. Like, the threat of of my actions being revealed for me again would not outweigh that we absolutely have to get this man in prison. yes. Well, it's like I said to
2: you on the break where I was like, I just, it doesn't matter who the man is. If you, even Paul Rudd. Yes. Or Keanu Reeves. Yes. Saint Keanu Reeves. Yes. If, if Keanu Reeves took my child for five weeks. And I had no idea where they were. And then I found out they'd gotten married and that he was threatening me about people finding out about it. Well, first of all, Keanu's dead to me. Yes. And I don't care what his excuse is or how saint-like he is to me or was to me before because he's dead to me now and he's going to go to prison.
1: Yes. I, I and and if it costs your own reputation, your own yep. standing in the church, whatever. And I understand that those things were very important to them. And I'm not negating or downplaying that. But to me, I'm just like, I don't know that there's much that you could threaten me with about my own character being attacked that would matter to me when that had happened. Five weeks is a long time. Any time to have your child taken is a long time. But five weeks. And when you, again, but then it was like the the rationale of like, well, the gynecologist said that she wasn't assaulted, so wasn't that bad. It's like explaining away a five-week-long kidnapping to me is unbelievable. Um, And I do have to say, like, throughout that portion that you were talking about there, the fact that he would wait outside her Sunday school class, the fact that he would, you know, send notes through other people, sent her flowers in a play. That whole time, I was just like, why was there no restraining order placed? Why on earth? The parents would have had to have known at least some of that was happening. Why on earth was it not like this man who has just been arrested for kidnapping is now essentially stalking this child? Child! Yep. I don't understand why that never happened. And then, of course, what moment three being um, that it was after the abduction that Marianne began the physical affair because we know there was already an emotional affair. Yep. I, I again, and I am blessed, Jan, for saying that her parents weren't to blame. Um. I, I that's another one I can't wrap my head around. I cannot imagine being able to sexualize a person who took my child for five weeks. Yep. I don't know how that happens. And I guess you could say it's just really a testament to what an amazing manipulator he was and how he managed to figure out how to read these people. That's just hard for me to understand.
2: Yeah, it's it's a tough pill to swallow. Um, <laughs> it's... I just... I can't wrap my brain around exactly what happened there. Like... Mm-hmm. So, so like, let me get this straight. You made us worry about our child for weeks, having no idea where she was. Mm -hmm. And the first time that we're contacted about it, you're demanding to be able to marry her when you get to the States, even though you are already legally married, but. That's okay somehow that you took her now because what you you went on a, you decided at the last minute you were going to take her on just a trip and like, what happened to the fucking stables? He didn't tell the parents about the aliens. So what was, uh, you just went to the stables and then went, you know what? This makes me feel like maybe riding a horse in Mexico or was that it? I took her to the stable. I didn't tell you where the stables were located. Like it it just doesn't make sense. No. That they would have accepted any excuse when he came back and was like, well, we just went
1: on a vacation. Well, again, he was like still harping on marrying this child. And she got into a sexual relationship with him at that point. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's it's again, I commend them and and her ability to forgive her parents. Uh seems to me, or it seems as though she was never angry at them. Bless that. Uh, it's just hard for me to understand. Um, because yeah, yeah to your point, there's absolutely no there's nothing he could have said to justify that behavior. There's nothing.
2: Yep. Even St. Keanu. Nope. Nope. Doesn't matter. I use Keanu. Keanu would never, but I use Keanu as like a, a the ultimate person of course who I would like yep there it is yep that would be it for me I'd be like well I'm done with that so yes it's it's shocking so I understand why people are shocked and drawn to this case and I would like from now on for all true crime documentaries um to have a rating of how many what
1: (laughs) there are in it (laughs) I like that too I like that, too. Um, I mean, again, the fact that he was sentenced to five years but then took a plea to 45 days. Like, I don't think that you should be able to get that kind of deal for a kidnapping, a child kidnapping case. Just me. No! Um, the fact that it took B telling Bob about the affair and Bob filing for divorce to bring Marianne to her senses. The fact that it took that much for her to be like, oh, maybe this isn't a good idea. Again, wild. Um, This is around the time Jan's begging her parents to let her go to Jackson Hole. B is calling incessantly, threatening them. Again, calling incessantly and threatening. Get a restraining order. This is the thing that keeps coming up. I'm like, why were you just accepting this abusive behavior? Um, The fact that she, at almost 14, took a a taxi to the airport alone. I also love that Marianne got there, saw her getting on the plane, saw her wave and went, oh, well. This is again in a period of time where you could get up to the gate. You know what you do? You go up and you say, That's a child. I am her mother. You need to get her off the plane. And if you yeah. delay the plane and you inconvenience those people, so be it. Don't let her ride. don't let her get on the plane. She, 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 it, 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 she literally then, went, Oh shoot. <laughs> like, what?
2: And then she was there for two weeks. Yep and i understand you know not having the money to get there yourself either flying or driving or whatever but it, you, you you get if you're not getting on the plane to drag the child off the plane then you're just as soon as you're like well i know where she's going get
1: there yeah and again i, I not only get there but call the police. I don't know how to make this any clearer. Like, call security. You're at the airport. You see her getting on the plane. She doesn't have permission to be on that plane. She's underage. Again, call security. To your point, okay, you can't afford to fly to where she... You knew where she was going. Call the police. Yeah. Please meet this plane on the other end. My child is on that flight and shouldn't be. Yeah. They will meet her at the airport. They will meet her at the plane. Yep. It just feels so simple. To And again, it's like, and then you let it go for two weeks? It just I don't feels know. like
2: it's, again, it was like, well, he did say she was going to go one way or the other. I guess we just accept it. It's
1: like and we, that's when, don't that, that was what I it. wrote down as my, what? Moment four was the fact that they waited two weeks to call the police in that moment as well. I couldn't, yeah. I can't wrap my head around that. Again, it's like, they just were literally going, oh, Oh, dear. That's literally their approach. Yeah. This child was 13, just 14, and had been kidnapped and we know wildly mentally tortured. And it doesn't matter that the parents didn't know the extent of it. I don't know. I think maybe I'd be like, maybe we have to try really hard not to let her get taken again. Yeah. She's fragile, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that B offered Bob all of his children in exchange for marrying Jan, that's another time you call the police. This man is unhinged. He's offering me my children, his children, in exchange to marry my daughter. These are all things that would be helpful. Um, even if that you don't get the restraining order, file the police reports every single time. Oh. Every single time. Yep. It's it's just unbelievable. Um. Oh God. The the fact also. Oh, this is what I wrote down at this point. So at this point in the in the chronology, she's in this Catholic girls' school. He manages to bamboozle them into believing he's part of the CIA. Uh, I wrote down in all caps. Why do they need to be married? Because at this point, he's still calling her parents, saying, "You have to let me marry her. She'll only come home if you let me marry her." Why did they have to be married? This is what the part of his mental illness that I would love to be able to understand. Because sure. he's assaulted children in the past. We know this. Yes. And he's managed to concoct a very tall tale in order to manipulate her. Yes. So she was ready to do what she needed to do. Why? Why? The marriage piece is so bizarre to me that it's like he really wanted to own her. He really wanted to have all of this control over her in every possible way. I don't see a world in which that if this had continued, he wouldn't have eventually killed her. I really don't. It's so dark to say, but it's like this is my psychologist at moment where it's like it's just very terrifying to me. That he would not let go of these concepts of, like, having to have all of the power and control over her. Not just the manipulation and the abuse and all those things. But then it was like, he was obsessed. He never let it go. It went yeah. on and on and on and on with her parents. I only assumed that
2: he was forcing the marriage because then she's legally no longer her parents' problem. And so right. it's like, now I can take her wherever I
1: want. right. That's true. And then they can't do anything because that's my wife. Right. My God. I know. I do also remember that when I was watching the documentary, I did have another what moment um, (laughs) when they were talking to some of the nuns uh, at the Catholic school and about how they were like, well, we had to protect her. Her father was in the CIA. And I was like, why did you believe him? Like everything about that girl how often is it that you have girls getting enrolled in this school from parents who are you know deeply undercover and they're telling you don't don't talk to anybody if they ask you like I don't know I think there was a moment in one of the in the documentary too and it's been a minute but I feel like there was a moment where the nurse was like it didn't seem right but I wanted to honor his wishes and to that I say why why? If the F- Because the FBI showed up. That was what it was. The FBI showed up with proof and they were like, we're not going to play ball. I was like, what? What does the FBI have to do? Anyway, I believe that's what five. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, all of the details. Again, the fact that he had the flower shop burned down still in that moment. As far as we know, no restraining order, nothing else done. Just pointing that out. Uh, that's when he was sent to the mental hospital. B was sent to the mental hospital. And that's when two experts said that he was fine and was able to be released. And that is what moment six for me. Because that is another one where it is unbelievable to me either how little of his story they actually had. Um yep. And or truly, truly how disconnected they were to how. But, but that again... Not trying to blame the Brobergs, but simply pointing out that if there was a paper trail, every one of these times there was stalking, every one of these times there was threats. If there was police reports and a paper trail, then that's going to help those experts uh, in making those kinds of decisions. And again, not victim shaming, uh, just saying again that it's every step of the way Jan was failed, in my opinion. Um, oh, yeah. Those experts why didn't they move? were... Oh, yeah. That's the next thing I wrote down. Why didn't they move? Your lives have been thrown into tumult, thrown upside down. Maybe just move away. Maybe change your number so he can't reach reach you. Change your address. Go states away. Don't leave anybody any knowledge of where you're going. This man was stalking, talking about how his only love in this world was your 13, 12 to 14-year-old daughter at the peak of the story, Again, if it's me, it's like, well, DEFCON 5, we got to do everything we can to protect this child and this family, period. Now yeah. he's burning down the – he burn had the, the flower shop burned down and that didn't even make you go, all right, you win. We're going to get out of Dodge. We're going to move. It, yeah, again, these apparently are just the they things
2: that debate about moving because apparently one of the flower shop – uh employees was thinking was considering like buying the shop from him and taking over but then in the end the employee like couldn't afford to take it so they were like i guess we're not going
1: i just i understand finances and livelihood and all of the above but i you sell your house so i don't you know what i mean like sell your house sell sell what you have to sell get out of there like Move into another city, into an apartment. I don't know. Like this man was like the Terminator. Like he was like, he would not stop. Like it was just, and it went on for so long. I don't know. Yeah. If Um, you have to change your last name. Exactly. But again, if you, if you went to the police, this is the thing that I keep talking about. And I know that we always, you know, we often get into real talks about what the police succeed and and maybe don't succeed on on the show. But The FBI has been involved at this point also. It is important to note. And I think that if you went back to the FBI and said, this is what's going on. We're being stalked. We're being harassed. He's trying to marry this child. I do think that much like the witness protection program, there are programs that they would be like, let us help you. Feels like maybe this is a recipe for disaster. I know that in a lot of those cases, the response you'll typically get is, well, they haven't done anything yet, so there's nothing we can do. He'd done stuff. He had done stuff. Again, I'm even saying to the point of the arson, uh, even if it up until then they hadn't. Done, at that point, I think you have enough proof to say we need some help extraditing ourselves from this situation if we can't get him in prison. You know, oh, yeah. um, yes. the fact that he would show up at these book events with flyers and guns. My God. The fact that he had raped a child 10 years after getting out of the mental facility, which is another thing we love to point out on this show, which is when people are put in prison mm-hmm. for crimes, maybe keep them there. Maybe for the, yep. the sex crimes against children and you know, these kinds of things, maybe don't let them out because I yep. want to remind you the um, percentage of reoffending is astronomically high. It's I I don't have the statistics, but I've read about this before and it's, it's, it's going to happen. It's gonna happen. Yeah. Um yeah, listen, I I I again, I, I, my heart breaks that Jan felt disappointed that people blamed her parents after the documentary came out. I'm very happy for her that she got to be a part of the miniseries and that she felt that that maybe told the story in a way that was more authentic to her. Um, I thought that miniseries was fantastic. I thought that the characters were played uh so very well. I thought Jake Lacey and and Colin Hanks deserved all the awards for those portrayals. I think that they per- per- portrayed those characters in ways that felt human and believable on both ends of the spectrum, both to the level of evil and the level of innocence. I thought it was really very well done. Um, and uh, yeah. And the the last thing, of course I want to say to be is uh, I hope he rots. I hope he rots.
2: <laughs> you know, that's one thing I left out of my notes.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that's why I needed to point it out. Cause normally you'd yeah. be, you'd be there. Uh, but you know, coward he obviously and I don't call uh, anyone who um, contemplates or takes their own life a coward except when it's in a situation like this where it is a criminal who has molested children and is taking his own life so that he doesn't uh, endure what he would have to face in prison that I think is is obviously uh, cowardly Um, yeah my god what a wild ride right I I mean I remember telling you about this that night and you being like that's insane and then here we are full circle
2: I had easily at least four or five. That's insane moments. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, again, I got to at least six of my own what moments. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, well, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, listen, Christy Oxborough, fantastic work as always. You really you you synthesize this information in a way that was very uh, easy to understand. I know that a lot of it gets very confusing when you're dealing with multiple kidnappings of the same yeah. person. Uh, yeah. So I commend you for your thoughtfulness and your uh, attention to detail as always. You are too kind. This, this was a struggle. Yeah.
2: Timeline wise. It's hard. Yeah. Cause usually it's a struggle anyway, but to have the same thing happen to the same person twice. Yeah. Really, really didn't help.
1: Of course. (laughs) And we yeah. thank you, dear listeners, for joining us on this roller coaster episode of True Crime and Cocktails. If you haven't already, give us a follow on the socials on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at True Crime and Cocktails. On Twitter at Not Detectives. If you're looking for more content, go to Patreon.com/slash True Crime and Cocktails, where we offer a monthly subscription service over there with bonus episodes, polls, uh, so much more. And the only place, of course, for official True Crime and Cocktails merch is TrueCrewMerch.com. So check that out as well if you're interested. Uh, Christy, do you want to tell the people about next week's episode?
2: On the next True Crime and Cocktails, Candy Montgomery.
1: That's right, dear listeners. The hottest true crime story I think currently. We've got not one but two miniseries, of course, uh, that have been made about this story because it is such a wild one. So if you haven't, uh, if you don't know about that case, no worries. We're going to get you up to speed next week and we're going to do it with some joy in our hearts. Uh, Christy, do you want to say goodnight to the people? Uh, only my fellow fairy
2: smut friends are gonna get this, but, uh, goodnight, Good night.
1: Goodnight. Goodnight, Josh Hartnett. My own smutty fairy. <laughs>